see you. Privileged to be able to speak to you this evening. We're um, going to be looking at the story of Zacchaeus, and, uh, which is in Luke chapter 19. If you've got a Bible, open your Bible to Luke chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, there are some green Bibles at the back and some black Bibles at the back and a whole range of colours of Bibles at the back. And you just go and help yourself to one and um, that would be great. <clears throat> I'll read it in a moment. It's classic Sunday school territory, this story, isn't it? Classic Sunday. Who remembers hearing the story of Zacchaeus as a wee child? Not many. Oh, okay, more. More of you just, yeah, felt moved, to be honest. Um, I, remember, I remember hearing this story talked about. I remember reading this story. I remember singing about this story, singing about Zacchaeus. I remember coloring in pictures of Zacchaeus, acting the story of Zacchaeus out, all kinds of things, just constantly doing this story at Sunday school. I think the only story that you do more at Sunday school than this one is the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, but I remember doing so much about Zacchaeus. And I remember having a book that told the story of Zacchaeus. It was a Luke Street book, in case anybody can remember those books from long, long ago. And um, I remember in this book, there was a picture of Zacchaeus. And it was like almost like a double-page spread of Zacchaeus. And he was up the sycamore tree, and he was holding on like this. And it was this big kind of close-up of his face. And I remember that crawling across his nose was a caterpillar. And, I, and, he, and he was sort of looking like cross-eyed down at his nose like this and seeing this little caterpillar crawl across his nose. And I remember as a child thinking like, why on earth has Zacchaeus got a caterpillar on his nose? It, kind of, it sort of disturbed me quite a lot. And every time I came to this page in the book, I would sit there for quite a while and look at it and think, what on earth is going on here? Why is a caterpillar crawling across Zacchaeus's nose? And it was just, uh, I, I lost sleep over it and everything. But as I thought about it, as I was preparing for this, and just kind of this image of Zacchaeus with a caterpillar on his nose came back to me, I thought, actually, what a fantastic thing to have crawling across your nose. Because for a child, the caterpillar is the great iconic creature that's transformed into something beautiful. The caterpillar is this funny, squashy little thing pretty ugly a lot of the time and for a child it's the great thing that you think about when you think of something that's transformed into something beautiful and the story of Zacchaeus is about an unpleasant sinful lonely rejected corrupt man who comes into the presence of Jesus. And in the presence of Jesus, Zacchaeus becomes the butterfly that God created him to be. What a great thing to have crawling across your nose when you're just about to encounter the king of the universe. Let's read the story. Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. 
all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Father, I pray that you would that you would come and that you would speak through, I guess, what's for many a very familiar story. I pray that you would speak to us afresh this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I think the context of this story is really interesting because Jesus is on a journey. Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem. I imagine it was a pretty tough journey to make. If you know the sort of outline of the gospel stories, if you read Matthew, Mark, or Luke, you'll know that for the first roughly half of the gospel, Jesus spends his time around Lake Galilee, and he teaches and he performs all kinds of amazing miracles. And then about halfway through the story, he's transfigured. And after that, something changes. Jesus' attention shifts from the area around the Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem. He sets out intentionally towards the nation's capital. And Jesus knows that this is his last journey. Jesus knows that the destination isn't just the capital city. The destination is a hilltop on which he will be nailed to a cross. And Jesus sets out intentionally to go towards Jerusalem. And he knows what's going to happen there. Because he says things like, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. And he used the illustration of crucifixion when he spoke of discipleship. That was the, that was the journey that Jesus was on. And he comes to this place called Jericho. Jericho is about 30 kilometers from Jerusalem. So I would have thought it's about a two, a one, two, three day walk from Jerusalem, depending on how far you want to walk in a day. Jesus is at, pretty much at the end of that journey. And he knows that within a few days, he's going to face arrest, trial, and the suffering that was crucifixion. That's the journey that Jesus is on. He's intentional about it. And he comes to this place called Jericho, and I think Jericho is an interesting place because actually Jericho shouldn't really exist. Because if you remember another Sunday school classic, which is the story of Joshua walking around the walls of Jericho, Jericho was destroyed. And at the end of that story, you can read it in Joshua chapter 6, you'll see that Joshua puts a curse on the city and says, cursed is anybody who rebuilds this city. Jericho shouldn't have been rebuilt. And yet, if you read in 1 Kings 16, you'll see that Jericho is rebuilt, and the man that rebuilt it loses his eldest and his youngest son. But it's a city that was rebuilt under a curse. In verse 2 it says, A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
So Jesus goes into the city that was rebuilt under a curse, and he encounters this guy called Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector. Zacchaeus would have been despised because of what he did. He was a cheat. He was a thief. He was corrupt. He would have been very cruel to people in order to get taxes from people. Everybody that knew Zacchaeus would have hated him. Everybody would have hated him. And Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. Zacchaeus cheated the cheats. Zacchaeus stole from the thieves. This was a guy that everybody else would have thought, this guy lives under the curse of sin. This guy is a sinner. He's under the curse of sin. And so Jesus enters a city that shouldn't have been rebuilt but was rebuilt, a city that was rebuilt under the curse. And he encounters a man that everybody would have thought was under the curse of sin, someone who was completely rejected from every aspect of society. And I actually think that's quite incredible because I actually think that's a wonderful picture of what Jesus was about to do. Jesus was about to go and hang on a tree. He was about to place himself under a curse in order to redeem people like me, people like you, people like Zacchaeus. Paul writes in Galatians, he says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus enters the city that was under a curse. He encounters a man who everybody else would have thought was cursed just days before he himself goes and hangs on a tree to redeem all of humanity. It's a great picture, I think, of what Jesus was about to do. And it says that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Zacchaeus is desperate to see Jesus. Which is odd. Because you imagine that the religious people that Zacchaeus knew would have despised Zacchaeus. And yet Zacchaeus is desperate to see this person. He's desperate to see Jesus. And he does a whole number of things. Well, he does two things at least, which are kind of a little bit undignified. He runs ahead of the crowd and he climbs the tree, the thing that he's so famous for doing. And he waits to see Jesus. And I wonder if the reason Zacchaeus was so keen to see Jesus was because Jesus had a reputation. Jesus had a reputation that went ahead of him. Jesus had the reputation of being a friend to people like Zacchaeus. All through the Gospels we read of people accusing him of saying, You are a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus went to their parties. Jesus had them gathered around him when he taught them. Jesus had a reputation that went ahead of him. 
Zacchaeus knew that this man coming along, even though he was a rabbi, even though he was a teacher, even though people were saying he was a prophet, some people were saying this is the Messiah. Zacchaeus knew that this guy was a friend to people like him. Broken people like Zacchaeus. It's a bit of an aside, but I want to ask you this evening, what are you known for? What are you known for? Jesus was known for being a friend to the outcast, to the sinner. He was known as being someone who had mercy on people like Zacchaeus. When everyone else rejected him, Jesus was known as being his friend. What are you known for? What am I known for? When people think of me coming into the office or coming into my classroom or coming into my college room or wherever it is, what do people think? What's the reputation that goes ahead of me? Am I known as someone that emits the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God? And so it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I love this. I love the fact that Jesus knows Zacchaeus' name. I love that. I don't know how he knew it. I, I guess it was the Holy Spirit. But Jesus looks up and he sees this guy in a tree. And he says, Zacchaeus. He knows his name. Tonight, Jesus knows your name. That's just worth thinking about, isn't it? He knows your name. He knew why Zacchaeus was up the tree. He knows why you're up your tree, whatever that might be. He knows your situation. He knows you by name. says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So I find that amazing because, as I say, Jesus is on this journey, and he's on this journey towards Jerusalem. He's on a journey towards his own execution. And I don't know about you, but I know that when I'm, well, I know if I was Jesus, and thank goodness that I wasn't, <laughs> I know that I would probably be quite stressed. But that would be an intense and stressful situation. I know that when I'm focused on something, sometimes distractions can be really irritating. I, I left New Wine on um, Friday night with the plan to get home and wake up in my own bed on Saturday morning in order to sort everything out. That's what we usually do. So we left after the main meeting. And when we got in the car, we set off, and we were just trying to leave the site, and there was this massive queue of people trying to leave the site. And we had no idea, and, there was, and nobody was going anywhere. And I, was, I felt like I was a man on a mission. I was thinking, it's late, I want to get home, I want to get home in good time so I can have a decent sleep, sort things out, and this is the last thing that I need right now. And it actually turned out that the reason there was a queue, and I felt awful about my attitude, was because there was a child had gone missing, and they weren't allowing anybody off the site until they found the child, which they did. And that was good that they, you know, that made, when we discovered that, that made sense. But initially, I was like, for goodness sake, we are, try we are all trying to get home. This is the last thing that I need. 
You know, sometimes it's like we can be so focused on, on, on what we're trying to do, focused on our schedule, focused on, uh, on, on, on uh, what we're trying to achieve. We've planned it all out. We know what we're doing. And sometimes it's those distractions. They can seem so frustrating. I can imagine if I was Jesus and I was in that place. I'm just trying to pass through this city. I'm heading towards Jerusalem and all that lies ahead of me there. Would I really want a distraction like this? And yet Jesus seems to embrace it. Jesus embraces it. He stops for one person. He's in this huge crowd of people. He's in this important, big city. And yet he stops just for one person. He embraces this distraction that comes across his path. And it's interesting isn't it, that when we look at the story of Jesus, when we look at his life, actually, it's so often the distractions that come across his path that cause the stories to be written. It's when the centurion's servant comes to him as a distraction and says, my master's servant is ill. It's when they come to him and say, Jairus' daughter is sick. It's in those moments, it's in those distractions when Jesus was doing something else and yet he stops for the one person. It's in that moment that so often we see the kingdom of God breaking out. It's where God moves in those moments of distraction. The other week I was, um, I was on the tube. Now I'm new to London, so I find the tube a wonderful thing. I'm, you, know, you guys probably loathe it, but I'm still in that phase where I think it's the best thing ever. And I sometimes think if we, if we don't know what to do with our children, we'll just take them on the tube for a couple of stops. Because they also, they just find it the most fun. It's like the most fun we've ever seen them have is on the tube. They're just running around and causing all kinds of problems. And the Londoners are kind of really hating what's going on. But we just think this is such fun. It's, it's like a soft play, but it's really a hard, quite dangerous play. But, we're, you know, we have such fun on it. And so we're on the tube. And... Um, I ended, I, sat next, I ended up sitting next to this guy, and I don't really know what tube etiquette is at the moment. I'm still trying to find my way. I'm not sure whether you're allowed to talk to people or not. I don't really know. I certainly know that holding on like here when someone's head is here, that's not a good thing. I've experienced that. It's not good. But anyway, I don't really know what the rule, rule is, but I sat next to this guy, and I noticed that he had a guitar with him. And I play the guitar. I can talk about guitars with anybody. Uh, that's a, a strong area of conversation for me. And so I thought, well, I'd just say, oh, you know, I said to him, well, do you play the guitar? Um, actually, now I, now I think about it, that was a stupid question. But actually, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris said a better, yeah, it doesn't matter, I won't, I won't be distracted by that. But I said to him, oh, do you play the guitar? Now, actually it wasn't a stupid question because what happened, what, the, what he then said was, was, was really interesting. Basically, this guy uh, lived in Australia. He'd come over to the UK for three weeks because his brother, this guy I would have thought was in his 40s, his brother had recently died. And uh, he'd never seen his brother's grave. And so he'd come over to the UK for three weeks with the, the primary purpose was to go and visit his brother's grave, which was in Scotland. And so he started telling me this, and he, and he was kind of a bit choked about it. And the reason he was on the tube was because he was that night, he was flying back to Australia. He was literally about to catch a plane that, you know, within a few hours. And um, he said that, <clears throat> so I'd asked him about this guitar, and he said, um, the reason I've got the guitar with me, it's not mine, it's my, my brother loved this guitar, and he's left it for my daughter, who's back in Australia. And 
it then turned out that he was separated from his wife. He didn't see his children very often. This whole story came out about this guy who I just literally said to him, well, do you play the guitar? The whole story came out about this just this terrible situation that he was, that he was going through and the reason he'd come over to England. And we talked a bit, and I, I asked me why he did, and I said, oh, I'm, a, I'm a vicar. And um, we had a conversation. I just said, look, I will pray for you. I'll pray for you tonight, and I'll pray for you this week as you go back and, um, and see your daughter and, and try and come to terms with what's going on. And then my stop came up. I had to get off. I, I would love to say to you, and some people who are very gifted at these things, I'm sure would have converted him in, their, in, the, in the tube train and everyone else would have become Christian as well. But I just, said a, I just said some things which, I just said what I could, I guess, I felt I could say. I'm saying that not because, the reason I'm telling the story is because unless we stop for people, you never know what's going on in people's lives. Unless you stop for the one, you never know what's going on. You never know what hurt they might be carrying because we're really good, aren't we, at putting on a face. We're really good at looking good on the outside. And I have to say, this guy did look good on the outside. He, was, he looked like he had it all together. As soon as I asked him the question, this, the tears started to come. Because inside he was really hurting. And actually it's in those moments where we stop that, that Jesus is able to use us in all of our weakness. Jesus just stops for Zacchaeus. In the middle of like this busy schedule, in the middle of a crowd where he's pressured and he's in this tense, intense situation. He stops for Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. He goes to his house for tea. And, you know, I find <clears throat> this bit here, seven, so it says in verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter. He, was, he has gone to the guest of a sinner. And then in verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, I wish there was a verse 7.5. You know, I would love to know what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. I'd love to know what that conversation was or whether there was a conversation. But we don't know, do we? We just see Jesus' invitation and Zacchaeus' response. And you know, actually, maybe it's good that we don't know. Because it seems to me that it's the presence of Jesus. It's Zacchaeus' encounter with the presence of Jesus, with Jesus himself, that completely transforms his life. And Zacchaeus is utterly, utterly transformed to the very core of his being. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I mean, that is a radical transformation from this guy who has spent his entire life cheating people to someone who is now giving away half of what he owns and paying back people four times that what he's cheated them. Just imagine now giving away half of everything that you own. That is massive. It doesn't matter how rich you are, that's a huge change in Zacchaeus' personal circumstance, isn't it? Half of everything he owns pays back four times what he's cheated people. Zacchaeus is completely and utterly transformed. You see, Jesus, when he comes and, and he invites us, he doesn't invite us just to have a kind of a little bit of a spiritual bolt on. You know, so much of what the world talks about as spirituality is just something that we just add to, to our life. It doesn't, it doesn't really challenge us. It just it kind of adds something, adds something at the, the periphery. 
But Jesus is looking for a transformation at the very center of who we are. Everything would be different because we've met Jesus. We would give half of what we own away. We'd pay back people four times that we've cheated. Zacchaeus is completely and utterly transformed by the presence of Jesus. Christian discipleship, what Jesus calls us to, is a radical transformation. He uses the imagery of crucifixion that you would carry your cross. You'd put yourself to death. You'd follow me. Jesus is not calling us to a little bit, you know, a little bit on the side just to enhance our life like a nice pair of shoes or an iPad. He's saying, I'm looking for complete and utter transformation in your life. Looking for you to completely surrender to me. I am, um, I am, um, one of my friends, he did a gap year with us in our church in Tunbridge Wells. He was supposed to be going on a mission trip. And he needed to raise 1,500 pounds, which for him, because he wasn't being paid a lot of money, he just left his school. He didn't have that kind of money. And he was looking to raise it. And he was at a meeting, Christian meeting, and um, it was actually Heidi Baker had been speaking. And, he, and she, there was an offering taken, and he, in his pocket he had a 20-pound note. And he felt God was saying to him, which I think somebody had given him that 20-pound note towards his mission trip. He felt God was saying to him, give everything in your pocket. Give everything this offering. And I remember he was saying, you know, he stood there and he was in the worship and he was just thinking, oh, I just don't know, I just don't know if I can, I just don't know. I don't know if I can surrender everything that's in my pocket when I know what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to raise this money, I'm trying to go and do this mission trip, blah, blah, blah. And after a period of just agonizing over what to do, he eventually he gave the money that was in his pocket. The next morning, someone anonymously put 500 pounds through his letterbox towards his trip. When I read this story, I don't feel that Zacchaeus is giving because he feels he has to. You feel like Zacchaeus is giving out of the overflow of joy that's in his heart. That Zacchaeus has encountered something which is so amazing, so life-transforming. He's found the pearl of great price, and he's prepared to completely surrender, to completely give everything that he needs to give. He's giving out of that place of joy, having found something of such incredible value. And I love that story of this guy, John, because it just shows, doesn't it, that we, that we surrender, but actually we gain so much more. As we surrender our lives, as we allow Jesus to have complete control of our lives, we gain so much more. And so salvation comes to this man. Salvation comes to this despised, rejected, short man called Zacchaeus. And Jesus finishes by saying, Today salvation has come to this house because, the son, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. The reason Jesus stopped, the reason Jesus was willing to have his itinerary interrupted was because at his heart there was a deep, deep, deep love and concern for those who were lost. And that's why he was walking every step of the way towards Calvary. 
because the Son of Man had come to seek and to save what was lost. Let's stand together.